people said you have a lot of it was a horrible deal for him. Really? And we're live. Welcome back to the Op Show, where we bring you the trials and tribulations, automations, and collaborations from the world of DevOps and the developer experience. In our best show yet, we have Eric Mueller, Director of Technology at Presence Product Group, amateur photographer, and new owner of a young lab Labrador retriever puppy. Um, yeah. Welcome, Eric. Uh, you know, as a fellow lab owner, uh, you know, for uh, the past two family dogs I've had. I'm really looking forward to your journey there as well. Do you want a lab? Uh, I, a, I've had two labs for their full lives uh, with my family though. And now I've been trying to you know, acquire a new dog friend uh, for like the last 10 years, but it'll happen soon, I'm sure. He's a, he's a handful. Since you already know how to handle him, I should send him out to you. He's a, he's a joy and, and a pain at the same time. Food. You shared the photo in the, in the community channel, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah. And still in young puppy years. Here's here's the here's the good news. At least it's not a Shiba Inu because they're that way for their whole life. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, welcome, Eric. And thank you. Why don't you just jump in and tell us a little bit about your background and your journey in the tech sphere? Yeah, um, I'll I'll keep it quick. So I've been doing this for a while. Um, I actually. Uh, um, kind of resisted getting into technology, you know, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I wanted to do other things. Um, you know, I had a computer as a kid, uh, you know, played around with it for a little bit in high school, you know, did some programming with, with basic, um, studied photography, architecture, uh, acting. Um, and then eventually I said, you know, don't resist. Let's get into it. You love it so much. So, um, did technology, um, you know, and studied in college and then ended up working in uh, financial services for a while. So Wells Fargo, Charles Schwab, uh, somewhere in the uh, somewhere late 90s, early 2000s, I got into the uh, consulting side. So I've been working for a variety of companies, Razorfish, um, uh, uh, Mechanism, uh, Edelman. And, uh, you know, I've been for the last seven years, I've been over at um uh, uh, presence. So we uh, build a lot of different things for a lot of different folks. And so uh, the cool thing about that is, um, you know, I get exposed to a lot of uh, different technologies and work with a lot of great companies and uh, great people. So it's been fantastic so far. Well, yeah, that's great to hear. And here's, uh, here's that, here's that, you know, a little bit of your photography right there and the dog in the, in the, in the Slack community. Love it. It's so cute. Wonderful. So cute. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I have a 10 year old Shiba and that's why I make that joke because uh, man, they just get more needy as they get older. I'll tell you what, I, I'd go back to a small a small 10 month old puppy right now uh, rather than have what I call a cat dog. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> well, at least you can cut your, your dog's hair into, you know, what, like a lion or a bear or a panda or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, mine definitely has the very short hair, so there's no cutting of it. But he's just such an incredible handful. So it's uh, there were definitely when he was earlier, there were definitely nights when we didn't sleep. But uh, you know, as he gets older, it's it's really become a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit more about the the projects that uh, you guys take on at Presence. I've you know looked at the website a little bit, as I understand it. Yes, yeah. a lot of you know great varieties. You're saying um, pretty full stack product strategy. You know 
mm-hmm. lay it out for us. What, what are the kind of some of the things you got your teams digging into? Um, so we do everything soup to nuts. So, um, you know, we uh, do strategy uh, and product management. And then when it comes time to the build, we'll uh, start all the way at the, uh, oh, uh, our new website is coming soon. But uh, anyways, we, um, uh, <laughs> we, um, uh, we basically will build a little bit of everything. So we do um, DevOps, we do the back end, the front end. Um, our bread and butter is, um, you know, React and uh, Node. Um, but, you know, we do uh, C Sharp, we do uh, Java, um, and then we do a lot of mobile stuff. Um, clients, um, you know, are, we have some startups where we're like the full development team for them. And then we'll also show up at, uh, you know, large organizations and help them expand their team. Uh, we're not a body shop, you know, so it's like we become a part of their team and, you know, we provide uh, co-leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really great. Uh, like I said, I, I think one of the, the best things about, uh, a company like this is that we're not working on the same product for five, six, seven years. Right. Um, you know, it's like every six months to a year, there's new stuff that's coming in. And so people are constantly exposed to new technology, uh, new businesses, um, get to meet new people. Um, so it really kind of keeps it very interesting for, for everyone on the team. I love that. I worked at a company called Blast Radius for many years and, um, very similar cadence of work. And what I really loved about it is, is I was able to you know, cut my chops, I guess, as they say, on lots of different technologies. And because you were able to move into different projects, work with different teams, different stakeholders, you just got exposure to so much so quickly. And you learned to yep. almost, in some ways, detach from your work a little bit. Like you still, there's a lot of passion, let's do the best work. But at the same time, you understood how to prioritize your best work because you would be moving on to the next project or the next project. And I think that was one of the most important lessons I had as a software engineer coming up. And, and I gained it from, from that kind of working style. Very different from, like you said, working on the same product for seven years, which you know has its own merits, but definitely is a, is a different learning style, right? Yeah, I agree. And, and I think the other thing that I kind of like about it, you know, as a people manager is that, um, um, you start to really think, you have to think more about the people, um, that are working with you. I think that, that in some places, you know, when I was at, at Schwab and I was more of a, you know, not in the management capacity, I felt like I felt more like a cog in the machinery, right? Because we were doing one thing. We were basically supporting the bank or we were supporting the brokerage house. Um, and, um, so it's easier, I guess the, it felt like. At the time, it felt like it was really easy for the company to just slot someone in, right? Um, and I feel like now, you know, because we're constantly changing uh, our clients, that um, you know, I want to make sure that folks are working really well together as a team, um, and that they they are happy, right? <laughs> because I'm going to have new clients coming in, and I want them to see that these folks really enjoy the work, that they're passionate about it, that they're uh, work well together, uh, and that they can feel comfortable working with uh, new folks. Um, so, uh, that, that's been wonderful experience, very eye-opening and, uh, you know, it's still very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about it as well was just not just the team, but like I, I call it full cycle development where you actually get to see a project usually through kind of like full cycle and then you almost get, to, yeah. you get to start again. And, it, and, it, and I think about I, it like single player mode in a video game. Maybe it's like you, you, you die, you fail, whatever you start again. Now you get to replay the learnings of the last cycle and the new cycle. 
Um, and I think that's the yep. kind of iteration, the meta iteration that can be really powerful for a, a professional career, especially in software development, when so much of it is, to your point, not just relied on like, you know, the technical work, but it's also how do I work with a team? How do I deliver on a vision? How do I deliver to a client? And those are some of the things that are, I think um, I got out of it personally in a really fine tuned way. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also, you know, another thing is you were talking about like, uh, you know, getting exposed to new things. I think what's cool is, um, you know, oftentimes we're showing up at the beginning of a project, like you were saying, and so we can introduce new technology. Um, so, um, it's really great to have the team constantly exposed to new things, um, and really push the boundaries. Um, but at the same time, we still have to deliver, yeah. right? Um, so while we may be bringing new technologies to the clients, the latest and greatest, we're not way out there on the cutting edge, right? What's to say, you know, folks who live on the cutting edge read a lot. Um, so we're <laughs> aware of what's, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're aware of what's down the pike and we're looking at that and constantly, you know, thinking about how can we incorporate that in, but we don't feel like, you know, we have to do, um, you know, like resume driven development. You know, it's like, we still need to deliver for the client. We want to set them up for the future. Um, but we don't have to limit ourselves to, you know, something that's been legacy at that place for like 10 years or something like that. Yeah. So it's a nice, nice combination. That's great mentorship. Cause I've seen that a lot, the resume driven development or the, the bleeding analogy. I like that a lot. I think, um, yeah, there's a, just this natural dichotomy in software development that's even more pronounced when you're in that kind of work cycle where, you yeah. know, I used to call it the death march. It's like, look, if, if you don't choose boring technology, we're going on a death march. And as much right. as I like to work my weekends, my evenings, like I love to work, don't get me wrong, but I like to work on things yeah. that are impactful. <laughs> so let's let's make some let's make some clear decisions right now. So like you said, you guys stick mostly to your bread and butter. How do you then introduce those new things to the team? and I guess harden them a bit so that they can right. enhance your portfolio of the, the skills that you bring to the customer. Cause that's, I mean, that's also your bread and butter, showing them what is mm -hmm. new, but distilling it down so that it's easy for them to then consume it as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, I'm, uh, we're pretty committed to like a 40 hour work week. Um, so, you know, I'm not working people to death. Um, and so, um, you know, we're all passionate about what we do as technologists, but I want, you know, if someone's exploring technology on their own on the weekend, I want them to explore what they want to explore, not, you know, I'm working them to death. Um, and so folks are just naturally curious. They find new things, they bring it back in. We have a little bit of a brown bag every couple of weeks so we can talk about that stuff. Um, the other thing that we do is, um, you know, we have a, a pretty broad uh, group of uh, consultants, uh, you know, contractors that we can bring in to supplement the team. So. We're about 50% employees, 50% consultants, and then this huge network of folks that we're constantly reaching out to, bringing in. Um, and so if I need a, a particular skill set, I'll just tap into the net, net, that network and bring them in. And as consultants, they're naturally pushing themselves, mm. right? So it's like every project, um, I'm bringing in new people, right? So there's a foundation of people inside of the company, and then I bring in other folks. And, um, you know, sometimes they become full employees sometimes they work for us for a while go off and do something else and come back later um and so it's just the ideas are fresh and they're constantly flowing in and they're moving out and coming back in it's really really a, a nice way to you know grow yeah sort of an osmosis kind of effect is what i visualize in my head i think it's really nice when you can get those um 
almost competing interests to align really well. Like, you know, a consultant who wants to be on the edge, somebody who's going to be maintaining the project longer term, wants to be a little bit more conservative maybe. They have to find that 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 means in the middle that makes the project work for everybody. Um, but it's a great yeah. way to kind of set it up for success in an organic way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that's, you know, that's why... I think the 40 hour a week thing, and I, I guess I'm harping on this a little bit, but why that's so important to me, right? So, um, you know, it's funny uh, when uh, when I talk to people, you know, maybe someone who's gonna be working with me as a contractor for a little while, one of the first things I say to them is, um, you know, I'm really only looking for you to work 40 hours a week. You know, if you wanna work 60 hours a week, you gotta go somewhere else, but here 40 hours, go home, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your family and friends. And I haven't yet to have someone say to me, geez, <laughs> that sucks. I really wish I was working 60 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I like to say, I think my generation did a disservice. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm obviously older. I'm in my 50s. And I think my generation and the generation right after of technologists kind of did a disservice to this industry in that we basically perpetuated this idea that if you are passionate about being a developer, of course you want to work 80 hours a week. And in fact, we're doing you a favor by letting you take home the work and work on the weekend and feeding you in the office and blah, 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 and all that. And, you know, um, you know, and hackathons and stuff like that. Right. Um, and my wife is a medicine and she never, you know, she doesn't bring home patients, right. To see them. She doesn't do medical thons or anything like that. She loves what she does, but she, the fact that it's constrained and it's, it's, you know, uh, sustainable means that she can do it until she's done. Mm. And I feel like we have set up a situation where we're gonna just burn out all of these young developers who are showing up. Mm. And, and, and at the same time, telling them that if they don't burn out, that they're doing something wrong with their career. Mm. And I think that's a real bummer. I, I totally agree. One of the ways I think about this is I separate the software engineer in me from the entrepreneur in me. The, so, the, so, right. the entrepreneur in me is like, I'll work with you as long as you need to work, as hard as you need to work because I, it's just built into me to try to get ahead and, and that's sort of the entrepreneur yep. side right that doesn't mean i expect right. others to do it and in fact when i think about the developer in me what i want is you know what i want to work smart not hard i want to make good decisions i want high leverage decisions i want to stay lean i think there's a couple of disservices there that would be interesting to unpack and get your feedback on the first is some of that was was actually absorbed into the developer community through the entrepreneur sort of passion and founder mindset of these startups, right? We have to acknowledge that. Right. I mean, hustle culture is not that that cool. But thanks, Gary Vee. Right. This is where we're at. Um, on the other right. side, you have the sort of developer model. And I think what I really focus on is more of that. And I think part of what we've done that is a disservice is in recent years, I don't know if I, I can accredit this to the to historic um, you know generations, but in recent years, I think we've actually yeah. made t t technology so much more complicated than it ever was before. And so now oh, yeah. we have a higher overhead. I remember when I started 20 years ago in software development, FTP, PHP, a little bit of JavaScript and iframes, like we're good to go, right? It's like one, one iteration yep. past GeoCities, but now you got these distributed systems. How do you, how do you manage that conversation, right? Because I think there's some real, real insight that can be derived there that is kind of perpetuating part of this like if i can't complete it in 40 hours a week what decisions led me there what decisions did i inherit that led me there yeah no that's a really those are good questions i mean one thing i want to touch on really quick around the entrepreneurship i 
I feel like I do want people who are passionate about what they do, but I don't want to burn them out so they lose that passion. Yeah. And that's the key for me, right? right. I, I love someone who's coding on the weekends, but they should be doing their own thing if they want to yeah. do that. They're, they're, I'm not, I don't own them. Okay. That's really key to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, getting back into the idea around the complexity, uh, you know, I, I think that there is, hmm. I remember when I started, you know, when I used to be a full-time developer, you know, like you, I was on PHP. Actually, I started in Perl. So I was actually a Perl hack back nice, in the day. Nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was a lot simpler, right? You know, it was a bash script or it was a make file um, and, you know, subversion or something like that, right? We were, you know, there was, and we would FTP up into the server. And I think that stuff was too simple. And so we started adding some complexity. And I think at first it was necessary complexity, but I think, you know, one of the things that sort of happened is um, we, we didn't do enough to mentor people as they came along. So think about like um, a lot of the, um, uh, you know, those, uh, the boot camps where it's like, we're gonna bring you in and in six weeks, we're gonna show you a bunch of quick technologies, but we're not gonna give you any depth underneath at all. I'm gonna show you these tools. And so these people come out of it and I've, I've worked with some folks that have come out and are passionate, great developers and do fantastic work, but that's because they got some mentoring, they got some seasoning. But a lot of these folks come out and they don't get that. And so all they have are these tools in front of them. And so they, they, they start looking around for similar tools and they start building these very complex things because they don't they don't know the history they don't understand there was something that came before it um there was a, a blog post in fact recently i wish i could remember what it was where they were talking about there's almost this move nowadays to going back to the 90s right have you noticed like server-side rendering is starting to become a yeah. thing and you know um like that's huge right um, or this idea that, you know, DevOps is sort of, you know, we were talking before the show, but it, like DevOps is sort of starting to shift to becoming like system administration again, right? Like this is a specialized skill set. Let's own that and start to clean it up and take away the end of system Um, and so that, that gives me a lot of, a lot of hope and happiness, yeah. right? You know, it's like, we see the complexity, we see the fragility and how can we clean it up? And maybe we're rediscovering things that were in existence 20 years ago. But, you know, I mean, if the old is new again or, you know, if the old becomes new again, that's okay. That's so interesting. So in the last episode that we recorded, which I think just came out today, uh, with Sadie, Tristan and I were talking to Sadie about these ideas of learning loops and, you know, unconscious um, learning, conscious learning, et cetera. There's sort of like four loops. Um, she articulated it way better than I could. So I suggest checking that video. But this makes me think about this macro environment, this macro learning loop that we as an industry are going through. Uh, and it's interesting to me how early it is actually in internet technology. We're probably only on like the second of the third and fourth learning, like, you know, the second learning loop here. So um, we're now going through those same scenarios. I do think that where we're at right now very much represents the early stages of the internet, but it's just abstracted. Like, right. The cloud providers are now like the kernel and kubernetes is like we're trying to figure out how to build a ui for the kernel and you know in, in many right. ways you know kubernetes and containers are kind of like the windows 95 for you know pirates of silicon valley so I, I, it makes me hopeful too i mean i think that's an interesting way of rationalizing it and not getting too tied up in it um at, at the same time yeah yeah i agree and uh, kubernetes is such a fascinating example like i have a love-hate relationship with it yeah. i feel like there are um, 
there are scenarios where it makes such perfect sense and I'm so happy it exists, right? Like my world is a better place because of it. But there's other times where I'm like, dude, seriously, Kubernetes for this, like you, it's, it's a, you know, it's two containers and a database. <laughs> like we don't need this whole fancy, you know, structure set up to support that. And um, I think what we're starting to see is people who are like just burning out on this idea of, do I, how, do I really need to make this so complex to get my job done? Yeah. Um, and, and it, you know, I'm, I'm put in mind, I, there's a developer that we work with occasionally. The guy is in his early 70s. Um, and he's one of the best developers I've ever worked with. Cool. He just cranks code. He's a great React uh, developer. And I think part of what makes him so good is that, you know, when I was, you know, waddling around in diapers, he was getting his first job. And so he's felt all the pain, right? right? He, um, and so when he joins a team, he's immediately sharing that pain with everyone. And in a very positive way, it's not like, oh, you can't do that. Like he's, you know, a, the classic gray beard. It's more like, great idea. That's cool. Have you thought about doing it this way? Let's try this. Uh, and it's, it's really nice having that kind of experience with that kind of attitude. Right. Um, and I wish every, every developer was able to work with someone like that. I, I love that so much. I think there's so much to be learned from all the things that didn't work. All the deploying on Fridays and working 70 hours a week where on some ways I'm, I look back and you know, I'm a fairly young guy, but I've been through a lot of these pains and that's what's led me to these practical and minimalist conclusions. I look at people like Kelsey Hightower, who's Twitter has been updated for the first time in seven years to just say minimalist. Cause he, even though he's like this big Kubernetes advocate, minimalism, he's like minimalism. How, going back to this idea of like the 40 hour work week and the mentorship, how do you think you balance that, right? Because I certainly wouldn't want to see anybody work themselves to the point of burnout, but that friction that occurs when you make some of these mistakes, when you sort of have the repercussions sometimes of making some of these mistakes. I remember times at Blast Radius where I might be there on Friday night with the QA team because I pushed really buggy code and picked the wrong decisions and allocated my things in the wrong places. That taught me important lessons, you know, which unfortunately right. I had to learn by staying late on a Friday night instead of going up with my friends. But how do you think you balance that within the 40 hour work week for people and provide them that environment that's both safe, supportive, doesn't burn them out, but gives them some of those, some of those painful lessons um, that they can get from people who are more experienced than them. But sometimes they have to kind of really themselves you know yeah well i mean people are going to make mistakes you know oh and you know um part of what helps is you know with a 40 as a consultancy i want everyone doing right? right so you know any hours you know any hours where someone's not building is uh is a bad hour um but you know um if someone makes a mistake well let me take a step back from that so one of the ways that we make sure that we kind of backstop this is that like uh, for developers, when they're working on a project, um, we do uh, pull requests and proper reviews of all of the pull requests, right? And so right away, um, you know, uh, the ideal situation is, you know, my code lands, I have two other developers who are reviewing the code. Um, and so, you know, things are caught before it lands into me. Um, and then, you know, we do a lot of testing, you know, so uh, a lot of unit tests, a lot of integration tests. Um, and so that really helps, right? So that as a developer is writing something, uh, you know, um, ideally the, it will be captured even before they, they do the pull request. 
Um, we do a lot of informal pair programming. I don't believe in like eight hour a day, five day a week pairing, um, but I really like, uh, you know, developers reach out to each other. So I encourage that, hey, do you have a problem? Time box yourself, spend an hour on it. You can't, don't have a solution, find someone else to help you out with it. Um, and if mistakes are made, you know, it's like roll it back and fix it. You know, there is no perfect programming. Developers are going to come in, they're going to try something out, they're going to make a mistake. As long as production hasn't broken or we haven't fallen behind on our contractual obligations, um, then, you know, it's deal with it. You know, I'm not going to get upset. I, it's interesting, like in the COVID-19 time, I, I think the, the best thing that I could do, but this really kind of fall, really is reinforcing COVID-19 is like, we're not saving lives, right? <laughs> you know, we're not, what we do, it's very rare for what we do as developers that someone will die if we get it wrong. And if you are working in that industry or that segment of the industry, if you're working in, med, you know, supporting a, a hospital or a drug company or something like that, you know the nature of your work, right? So don't take it so seriously, right? Be passionate about it, want to get it right. But you know what? If we don't get it out at the end of today, we can pick it up again tomorrow. It's okay. Um, and I think people need to, to hold on to that, you know, that you can take a step back, think about it, get it right, enjoy your weekend, finish it Monday. Like it. Yeah, that brings up a good, uh, a good point, too, like what we were talking about at the beginning of the show where, you know, how do you think about this, like, enjoyment of work and the, creating this sort of work environment at, with this giant switch to remote um, especially for development or DevOps teams. And now all of a sudden you're doing all this and you're kind of forced into this work environment. Like, how do you think about, you know, shaping that culture or reshaping it so that it fits for that, for the new and the new normal? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think that a lot of people, um, not every, first of all, let me say this. I don't think every person is suited to working remotely. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, some folks just thrive on being around other people. Um, and, um, so that's a challenge right there. Like, how do we keep people engaged? Those, those people engaged, right? Where they feel like they're a part of the team. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, you know, a lot of checking in with people. Um, you know, I, uh, I make sure that there's plenty of time everyone has, you know, the afternoons, I'm going to leave them alone when we're remote, but otherwise I'll take advantage of the morning. Hey, how's it going? We'll get on Slack. I'll have a, a conversation with folks, post inside of uh, public channels. Um, I reach out to folks on a regular basis, you know, on a daily basis, you know, different people, not everyone on the team, but different people and kind of check in with them. Um, I like having meetings, you know, um, like these brown bag meetings, Mm -hmm. um, where we're getting together remotely, but we're getting to chat and I keep it very loose, right? You know, it's like, technically we're going to explore a new idea. We're going to talk about some technologies, but it's like also just a, you know, an opportunity for people to just be asked if they want to. Yeah. Um, are you using, so what are you using for communication? Are you using Slack or? We use Slack and Zoom. Okay. Uh, so Slack for day to day and we'll do Slack, uh, you know, calls. Um, and we'll also do Zoom for a group call. Yeah, I appreciate the like the informality that Slack brings. I feel like there's, I've been reflecting on it recently as we're pretty much a Slack for Slack only company where we rarely use email. And, right. you know, there's just this level of uh, connection that can come on a remote environment that 
wouldn't come on Slack that wouldn't come an email. Right. I, I agree. I think the problem with Slack, I love Slack, don't get me wrong, or and things like Slack, but the problem with Slack is it demands your attention all the time. And so one of the things um, I um, I encourage developers, uh, you know, because I give permission to, and I feel like, um, you know, a lot of developers feel like when Slack is there, they always have to be connected all the time. And then if they get a message from anyone, they have to respond to it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I used to code and I know you need three, four, five hours uninterrupted to crank. So you know what? Mm-hmm. Mute Slack, put it on another screen, turn it off altogether. Get yeah. that focus time. If I'm setting really that, that clear panic, expectation, exactly. If I'm that panicked, I need your attention. I'll, I'll phone you up. We try mm-hmm. to set three days a week. <laughs> you know, it usually turns out to be two because of different reasons. But we try to set three days a week, which we call focus days, which are not. You know, even before we had moved to more of a remote model, even in the office, we try to do that and allow people to go off site if they want to or whatever, because that is so important. Were you guys um, co-located before all of this and now remote now? And, and if so, like, what's the feedback from the team? Do they feel they're more productive in this setting, less productive? I think we've gotten really positive feedback that people feel like the focus time is locking in more, they're getting more out of their communications and then being able to go back and, and deliver on things. But I mean, what, what, how are you guys, uh, what's the feedback you're hearing? The feedback overall is positive um, and the same things. They feel a little bit more productive. They feel like they can focus, but they also miss, um, you know, the way we did it was we were co-located and most folks were in the office two or three days a week. So we weren't looking for five days a week. Um, Some folks were though five days a week. Um, And so they miss the occasionally getting in the office a couple times a week together. We would do lunch twice a week and everyone was there for that. Um, And so they miss that casual hanging out together. Um, You know, you don't get that working remote. You don't get that um, where we just start BSing over a cup of coffee. That that just, that experience doesn't happen. And I think um, that's the part that everyone misses. And um, that's the hardest thing I think to replicate. We've tried yeah. to inject that in just like with social hours and different lunch. You know, we have a standing lunch thing for people. Yeah. But you're right. It's not. It's definitely not the same. It's, it's sort of a proxy for the real thing, unfortunately, while the world is the way it is. Yeah. It's, it, you know, the thing is, is that when I'm, uh, I, I'm thinking about, you know, I, when I was in the office, if two developers start chatting about a problem, um, you know, they're just at their desk and they're talking. Um, and a third person happens over here as they're walking by, they'll just join in. And next thing you know, Mm. a problem is solved. Um, and you don't have that experience in Slack, unfortunately. Yeah, spontaneous collaboration. Yeah, well you do, it usually becomes more like a pylon thing because everybody hears it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've been using a tool, uh, I don't know, have you ever used Donut? And I guess once your team gets large enough, maybe where certain people don't interact or there's different, you know, business functions. Uh, it automatically pairs you up with uh, um, with someone else that maybe you haven't been uh, interacting with as much with on Slack. And that's been a really, I, I've personally really enjoyed it for just quick 30 minute chats with a different different person every week that you wouldn't normally interface with as, as much. That, no, I haven't tried that, but I just took a note. Um, so I will uh, check it out after this, uh, after this call. We also use well, I know uh, called Geekbot for standups and, and mm-hmm. we, we inject kind of like, funny questions throughout the week so people kind of answer kind of like these teasers that you wouldn't otherwise know about them uh things like i think today's was what's the most dangerous situation you've ever been in <laughs> something like that so that's another good one keep bot yeah oh i'll definitely check that one out too cool well i know we have a hard 
stop here with you, uh, Eric. So, you know, any last thoughts that you wanted to share? Um, any thoughts on security? Um, and then where can we find you online? Um, so, um, any last thoughts? You know, I, the, I guess the one last thought that I would have is, you know, I really, I want people to enjoy what they do inside of technology. You should be passionate and you should enjoy it. You should love it. Uh, and that means sometimes being able to say no, um, you know, don't overextend yourself. Don't, uh, don't agree to everything. And then you, you regret it, right. You're not able to deliver. So, you know, keep, keep, take care of yourself. Right. And particularly in a time like this, just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Um, as far as online, um, I think I'm like, uh, EKM at, uh, on Twitter, um, or EK Mueller or something like that. I, I, uh. I worked for four years at a, a social media uh, agency and I just do not, I do not like my online presence. <laughs> um, so I, if you, you know, I can be found on LinkedIn under my name, uh, Eric Mueller. Um, and, uh, you know, that's about it. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate the conversation. Very, very good to have about how to love your work and love your team and set that environment in the right way. And that's it for us at the Ops Show. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you, guys.